like you to take your Bibles this morning, find, if you will, Mark's Gospel, chapter 14. Mark's Gospel, chapter number 14. Find that place, if you will, please. We want to uh, look at several places in Scripture this morning. Um, Brother Ronald read for us this morning the word of the Lord, which had to do with the, the Lord's Supper. And today uh, we will be having the Lord's Supper. Normally, our Lord's Supper, we celebrate the first Sunday nights of the month. And uh, we do move it to the first Sundays in the morning, usually January, and a few other times throughout the year. And today we want to concentrate on what the Lord's Supper is. We want to look at the Scripture, see what the Bible has to say about this topic, and, uh, and maybe help you understand fully what we do, why the church does what it does in celebrating this memorial meal, as it's called in Scripture. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ talks about this in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's gospel, and then it's found for us again in 1 Corinthians, in chapter number 11, the Lord, uh, Paul deals with it in the Corinthian church. Now, in John's gospel, there is no actual mention of it when Jesus Christ meets with his disciples in the upper room. Uh, we don't find the Lord's Supper there in, in that book, but we do find him uh, hinting to it or talking a little bit about it. In an earlier sermon in John chapter number 6, where he declares himself to be the bread of life. And that's important for us to remember these things. Now, um, let's read Mark's gospel first, then we'll go to John, and then we will uh, uh, see what the scripture has to say. And then this morning as a church, we will partake of the, the Lord's Supper. Mark's gospel, chapter 14, verse 22. The Bible says, and he took the cup. Actually, verse 20, yeah, 20. And as they did eat... Jesus took bread and blessed and break it and gave to them. And he said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said unto them, this is the blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Verily say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Go with me, Will, if you will, to John's Gospel, chapter number 6. John's Gospel, chapter number 6. Again, John chapter number 6 is an earlier sermon. It's not take, it doesn't take place in the upper room the night before his crucifixion. But Jesus, in this chapter, delivers what we call the bread of life sermon. In chapter 6, in verse number 48, he says, I... I am the bread of life. Now, we spent some time a year ago looking at the I am's of chapter number of John's gospel. And here Jesus Christ is saying that I am the bread of life. Again, I am in reference to him being Jehovah God, Yahweh. And in verse number 51, we read, he says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Jump over, if you will, to verse 53. And he says, Then Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, dwelleth in me, and I in him. Later on, we learn that the people who were with him heard these things and they misunderstood what he was saying. They thought he was teaching cannibalism, basically. 
and, a, and a group of them pack up and leave. And he says in verse number uh, 63, It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from that beginning who they were that should believe not and who should betray him. And it says in verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Again, I want to clarify, we have the original 12 disciples. That is not a reference to those 12. In fact, we find out that there were at least 70 people following, plus the 12, following the Lord Jesus Christ who claimed to be disciples. And it's those 70 who hear this and they go, what in the world? And they pack up and they leave. They say, we're not following this guy anymore. He's telling us we got to eat him and we got to drink his blood. What kind of... What kind of heathenism is this? Because the Bible strictly forbids the, the uh, cannibalism and, and, uh, and eating human flesh. And he says in verse 67, Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of life. And we believe that thou art sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let's pray and ask God to help us before the message this morning. Father, bless the time that we have. We're thankful, Lord, that we can be here thankful for the local church and the, 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 the opportunity we have to come in fellowship, to sing, and to hear the Word of God. Bless all that's going on this morning from downstairs to the children next door in the classroom, and speak to hearts throughout all the services. Bless now in this hour, and help me to say only that which needs to be said. But we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord's Supper, as we call it, is what we, is an ordinance of the church. Now, an ordinance, so you have a proper understanding. Again, I'm not trying to talk down to anybody. It's a simple reminder today's sermon that an ordinance is an outward and uh, visible symbolic rite commanded in the Bible to be practiced by the church. This practice sets forth a scriptural truth is, is, is being on display. It is a memorial. It's a reminder of some precious historic event, and in this case we are remembering the historic event of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, how his body was brutalized and how his blood was shed, and that's what we are remembering. There is a distinction between an ordinance and a sacrament. According to the uh, Roman Catholic Council of Trent in 1551, the definition they give us is a sacrament is something presented to the senses which has the power by divine institution not only signifying, but also of efficiently conveying grace. And that is what a sacrament is, and that's nowhere to be found in Scripture. So an ordinance, therefore, differs from a sacrament in that it is performed not to obtain grace. We are remembering because we have already have obtained that grace the day that we have believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, uh, there's a lot we can go into, and I'm trying to stay focused on one thought here this morning. As we said, the Lord's Supper, and uh, when we talk about the Lord's Supper, the Lord Jesus Christ initiated this meal when he met with his disciples in the upper room before he was to be crucified uh, the next day, or that actually the same day, because the Jewish day begins at 6 o'clock in the evening. And so the next morning of that same day, he would be arrested and tried and crucified and be dead by 3 o'clock. Now, 
When we think about the Lord's Supper, it's important to understand that our Bible is one book. It's one volume, and it's teaching one divine truth. I know we have an Old Testament. We have a New Testament. And let's understand the, what the difference is between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, we have pictures and shadows of what Jesus Christ is going to do. We have these people, these places, these events, these, these uh, uh, sacrifices are all shadows. They're all types. They're all representing what the Messiah, Jesus Christ, is going to do. And one of the great pictures in the Old Testament is that of the Passover. And it's important to understand the Passover if we're really going to fully appreciate and understand the Lord's Supper and what that is because they're, they're tied together. They, we, we see the same thing. Now, uh, now, God instituted the Passover when he delivered his people uh, from their 400 years of bondage out of Egypt. Now, when God delivered them out of the land, he gave nine plagues upon the land. The tenth plague would be what we call the Passover. And I, and I do want to get into that in, in just a few moments. But before we do that, uh, the Passover celebrated a physical deliverance. They were taken out of Egypt physically and, and, and brought into the wilderness where they eventually would make their way into the promised land. That's a physical deliverance that God does there. Now, when we think about the Lord's Supper, and uh, the Lord's Supper celebrates, it remembers a permanent spiritual deliverance that you and I have. In Luke's gospel, he says, this is the cup which is poured out for you. This is the, 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 the New Testament is my blood. So in the, in the Passover picture, we have the blood of a lamb. And with the New Covenant, the New Testament, with the, with the, the Lord's Supper, we are remembering the blood of Jesus Christ. You cannot have salvation. You cannot have any gospel. You cannot have any Bible without having blood. Our Bible is blood from cover to cover and from chapter to chapter we're seeing blood being shed and the most precious of that blood and the only blood that is necessary is the blood of Jesus Christ. When we eat uh, this bread, when we drink this, this grape juice this morning, this fruit of the vine, we are remembering what Christ has done for us. The Lord's table, as we call it, and again, we'll get into different names in a minute. The Lord's table reminds us of the cross of Jesus Christ. We, you may carry a cross around your neck. You may have a little cross in your pocket. You may have one hanging from your rearview mirror, and there's nothing per se wrong with any of those things. But the Bible picture for us remembering the cross is the Lord's table, this bread and juice that we will partake of. Now, Luke tells us in, in the book of Acts, I would like you to take your Bible and look at the book of Acts, if you will, in chapter number 2. And we'll get to the Passover in just a second. We're laying some things out. In Acts chapter number 2, the early church is meeting, and, and uh, they've had their the Spirit, Holy Spirit of God come, has empowered them at Pentecost. And we notice what they is happening when people get saved, when people believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, they repent and they turn from their heathen ways and their wicked ways and they're, they're believing upon Jesus Christ. It says in verse number 41 of chapter 2, then they gladly received his word, were baptized the same day, they were added unto them about 3,000 souls and they continued steadfastly. Notice this now, what did they do when they got saved? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine 
and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Now we may be sure that the breaking of bread is referring to the Lord's Supper, the communion as it's called. The early church in its beginnings would have a, a memorial meal. They would have fellowship meals together, but in their meals and celebrating together as a church, they would also incorporate the Lord's Supper. Now, as a church, we have fellowships every now and then. We'll bring the tables out and we'll all eat and, and, and partake of what each other has brought and have a great day. But the early church, because of the uh, how things work, they didn't get Sundays off. Okay, this, that's, this is an American invention. Amen. Thank God we got Saturdays and Sundays off. And by the way, I saw a sign once say, if you like your weekends, thank the unions. No, you ought to thank God because God gave you the weekend. Amen. <laughs> Saturday. <laughs> God gave that in the, in the Old Testament and Sunday because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. So if you like Saturday, Sunday's off, thank God for that. And, and then, then you can thank the unions later. But understand something here that God, uh, in the early church, they didn't have Sundays off. So they would meet after they got off of work in the evenings and, and have church services. That's why in the book of Acts we find Paul preaching till midnight and even one guy falling asleep and falling out the window. Because they, they was long time preaching. And so if you want a real church and real Bible preaching, it's going to be long. It's going to be at midnight and somebody's going to fall out the window. <laughs> Just kidding. But that's, that's how they did it back then. Now, understanding how this works, they would have, again, the Apostles' Doctrine. That's preaching and teaching the Word of God. When we come to church, it's, we're here to learn what the Bible has to say. We're here to see what is God, what does Scripture have to say. We don't care what the Democrats or Republicans are doing. We're not here to fix the economy of the world. We're not here to uh, and, and encourage you what businesses to invest in. We're here to learn the Word of God and teach you what the Bible says to equip you to go out into this world, to face the world, and to live for Jesus Christ. The fellowship, the coming up together is for fellowship. We're here together, and I encourage you after church to fellowship and talk with one another. It's good to, to, to meet with people and talk and, and fellowship with each other. And then he says how they were breaking of bread. Again, they would have their meals together. I know some churches, because of inner city work and, and how parking is, they, they'll have church this morning, they'll have lunch together as a church, and then they'll have their 2 o'clock service, and then they'll call it a day. And There's no evening service because, again, Parking is a hard time in many places, and, and it's just difficult to come out, and so they just have a big, long day of it. So they'll start Sunday school, 11 o'clock service, and they'll have lunch together, and then they'll have their afternoon service, and then they'll all go home. But in there, they're, they're breaking bread. They're fellowshipping one with another. And then in prayers, church ought to be praying people. We ought to be praying and, and, and fellowshipping with God. Now, when we think about the early church and what they did, there's this meal that we're seeing here. Now, when we think about the Lord's Supper, there are several names for the Lord's Supper. I, I just, uh, it's it just in my DNA. I've always called it the Lord's Supper. There's not much wrong with these other expressions. We, First uh, Corinthians chapter number ten, verse number sixteen, we see that it uses the phrase the cup of blessing. So, if I say we're going to have the cup of blessing this morning, that would be scriptural. Some of you have may no clue what I'm talking about because I've never used it before, but it's still a scriptural term. And, and also it calls, we have the, we see the word communion is used. Now again, that's, it's a Bible word. We're, we have communion, not with, with, with one another, but also we're communing. It's communication, we're fellowshipping with our God. And in Acts chapter number 2, 
as we've seen here, there is the breaking of bread. This expression is found, and again, it is often thought this is, again, the Lord's Supper. So whether you use the, the idea of uh, the cup of blessing, the Lord's Supper, communion, they're all scriptural terms. There's nothing wrong with either one of them. Now, again, there are several views on the Lord's Supper, and what exactly are we doing here this morning? What is taking place when we partake of the Lord's Supper? There are three main definitions that we'll find under the umbrella of Christianity on what it means to partake of the Lord's Supper. What are we doing? There is the view that is known as transubstantiation. Transubstantiation. That's, again, these are all long words, but when you learn these words, you'll walk out of here and people will think you're really smart because you use a lot of big words. Amen? Again, uh, big words, they're nice to know, but... Just keep it down there. Use the 10-cent words where everybody else can understand what you're talking about. Ever hear somebody talk and you're like, but you don't want to say nothing because you don't want to be the only one in the room that has no clue what's going on in life. That happens a lot in school with teachers. Everybody understand? I'd be like, I have no clue. But if nobody else is raising their hand. I'm not raising my hand. I'm not going to be only, only find out that 90% of the other class had no clue what was going on, but nobody wanted to look like, like me. Amen? As if we just... Yeah, I get it. <laughs> and we couldn't Google anything back then either. So transubstantiation. This is the doctrine that teaches that the bread and the juice actually become the body and blood of Christ. When consecrated through the Mass, that this you're actually eating the flesh of Jesus Christ and you're actually drinking the actual blood of Jesus Christ. And again, needless to say, this is really without any scriptural support. Hebrews chapter, in the book of Hebrews, we find, again, this is uh, taught throughout, we're not actually eating Jesus Christ. I have no power to bring, or no man has any power to bring Christ down, crucify him, and serve him up. Cruci Jesus Christ was crucified, according to the Bible, one time for all time. It's a one-time sacrifice. And I cannot crucify him, and no man can crucify him, and, and serve him up to you. There is uh, con substantiation. You have trans substantiation, you have con, C-O-N, substantiation. And this is the doctrine that teaches that while the bread and the wine remain the same, the presence of the body of Christ is nevertheless, this is the doc, this is the definition, now not my made up, not, I'm not making this up, that the body of Christ is nevertheless in, with, and under both elements. Con substantiation. You may go to a church, and, and, and the minister may stand up there and say, we're celebrating the Lord's Supper, and we believe in consubstantiation. Again, he's not saying that you're actually eating the body and blood of Jesus Christ, but he is saying that the body and blood of Christ is in, with, and under what we're doing. Again, it, it, it sounds mystical, but again, it, it doesn't have any scriptural bearing in it at all. There is what we have, the memorialization. This doctrine teaches that the bread and the juice, or the fruit of the vine, are merely symbols to remind and aid the believer in observing both first and the second coming of our Lord. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. Brother Ronald read it for this, this morning, and I'll encourage you to look at it one more time. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, here the, the church in, in, in Corinth, is he's, Paul is correcting them because they were partaking of the Lord's Supper, but they were doing it wrong. And he has to correct them on it. And he says in verse 24, 
And when they had given thanks and break it, he said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, he also took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This is the cup of the New Testament, and, and my blood, and, has, and do this as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat that of that bread and drink that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this caused many weak and are sickly among you. So again, when we think of the Lord's, uh, when we think of memorialization, we are, again, the bread that we will partake of and the juice that we will drink is simply reminding us, re helping us to remember who Christ is. Now, earlier we read where Jesus Christ said he's the bread of life, which has come down from heaven. And he reminded us that he is that, remember in the Old Testament, how the Jews wandered through the wilderness. And one thing God did for them as they wandered every day, except the seventh day, they would wake up and they would find bread on the ground. And they called that bread manna. Manna is a simple word that means what is it? What is it? They woke up and, and they found, what is it? And that was bread that God was giving them. God told them you can gather that bread and, and you can eat that bread and that, will, and, and, and that will strengthen you for the day. Don't take any more for tomorrow because uh, it, it's just, just for today. And my friend, that bread, the manna, as we see in Scripture, is a type or a picture of Jesus Christ. He is the bread of life come down from heaven. So we have two types of bread in the Old Testament. We have the bread that's found, uh, the leavened bread, which is found in the Passover meal. And then there is the manna, which they sustained them through the wilderness journey until they crossed over Jordan and went into the new, the new land. They would get that bread for those 40 years, except on the seventh day. And God gave them a double supply on Friday to take care of them and meet their needs. I would like you to take your Bible this morning, if you will, and find Exodus chapter number 12. Exodus chapter number 12 as we continue to um, see things and try to put this all together into a one neat little package here this morning so the church understands exactly why we do what we're doing and, and the purpose for it all. Now, in Exodus chapter number 12, it should be an important chapter in your Bible. And as you grow in your faith, several chapters ought to stand out in, in your life. And, and several chapters, you say, this is an important chapter in the Bible. And Exodus chapter number 12 is one of those important chapters. Roman 8 is an important chapter. Acts 16 is an important chapter. Several of those chapters are really very important chapters where God is really stressing something important to us. In Exodus chapter number 12, we are, we're seeing the Passover and what God is going to do. And we know the Passover because that's when God will come through and God will kill all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Jew, Egyptian, Animals, it doesn't matter if it's firstborn, the firstborn will die that night unless they follow God's commands and do exactly as God tells them to do, then the firstborn will be spared. I always do this every time we mention the Passover. How many firstborn we have here today? Firstborn, raise your hand. Any firstborn here this morning? All right, a lot of you got to get real nervous here. Make sure mom and dad, and dad, dad specifically, is following commands. Amen. And if dad's not doing, you pack up and go next door to the neighbor's house and you'll be just as safe in the neighbor's house and, and just and, uh, watch what happens next door and bring the dog with you in case the dog's firstborn too. We ain't worried about the cat, but just take the dog with you, amen? Now, 
<laughs> Joe would be excited about that comment. <laughs> now, no offense to you, I'm just having a little fun. Now, so that firstborn, he better make sure, even if the, the, the dad, he better make sure, if I'm firstborn, I got to follow God's commands here. Also, Sarah in Egypt, Sarah in Egypt, Sarah, yeah, that's about right. Sarah and Ethan. <laughs> Boy, that's a Freudian slip there, huh? No, only kids. <laughs> Sarah and Ethan, also, they're, they're, they're cat people, and i got to deal with them later on, too, now. He says in chapter number 12, in verse number 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and, all, and against all that gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. <laughs> well, how come God can do that? Because... I am the Lord. He can do anything he wants, okay? <laughs> He's God. Well, I don't think it's right. You take it up with him, my friend. He's God. God does all things well. And he says, And this blood sh shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you, destroy you, when I smite the land of Egypt. God's telling them that they have to put the blood. Now, in the first 11 verses of this chapter, he gives them the instructions on what they're to do. They're, uh, they're to take a lamb. They're to buy the lamb on the 10th day of the month. And then on the uh, 14th day of the month, they're to take that lamb. And that, by the way, that lamb is to be a male lamb. It's to be without blemish. It's to be a perfect lamb. And then they're to take that lamb on the 14th day of that month. They're to kill that lamb. And then to take the blood of that lamb uh, and dip with a, a brush of hyssop and put it upon the doorposts of the house. So that lamb will die, and then they're to roast that lamb. But they're also to do something else. There's another step in this passage. They just couldn't put blood on the doorpost and call it a day, but they're to follow all the instructions. So you have the, the, the lamb, the dead lamb, the blood upon the doorpost, and roasting the lamb, not breaking any of the lamb's bones in that lamb's body. They be careful of all that. But he says in verse number 15, Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread, even the first day. Ye shall put away the leaven out of your houses. And whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day unto the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. God institutes the feast of unleavened bread. Now, uh, I called my wife this morning. Actually, I texted my wife. I, I remember this. I said, do we have any leaven in our house? She said, yeah, we have some. And so I said, can you bring some down to me? Now I have a bag of, of, of leaven here. Now, I'm not a baker. I don't do any baking whatsoever. I'm, I, I work on the grill. I mean, that's, that's where I hang out. And any baking that goes on there, my daughter and wife do all that. My daughter makes some wonderful bread, and uh, she does a wonderful job. Now, again, it just takes a little bit of this. Now, some of you ladies here are professionals and know how to bake. And what it takes, if you just take flour and water and mix it together, you're going to get just a flat piece of bread. You need this. In here. And, and there's, a, there's a science to all of this, which I'm not going to go into, between leaven and then what yeast is and different types of yeast. And different types of yeast give you different types of bread. And, and thank God we live here in, in North Jersey where we have all wonderful types of bread. Amen? Amen. You go down south, you, you get white bread. Amen? It's like, people, come on. <laughs> this is, you need to step up your game. Some pumpernickel, some rye bread, and, 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 and some other things here to, to help spice up life. But this little bit, you don't need much of this. To put into the bread, and then the bread rises, and you get that wonderful smell. One of the saddest days around here is when Pector's Bakery closed its doors and went away. Because when they were baking their bread down there, the smell would go forever, and you'd be like, oh. 
Amen. How many, when you smell bread, it's like, come on, just bring it on, and <laughs> you're ready to... <laughs> I know Jesus said you can't live by bread alone, but it's, 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 we need the Word of God, but bread's a wonderful thing, amen? But this little bit of leaven, this is not much. This would be, this would do a great damage. This would raise a lot of bread, and a lot of bread would be like that Little Rascals episode where that entire bread just pouring out of the oven there. It doesn't take much. All of this was to be there to sweep their cabinets. And I make sure there's no leaven because what does leaven do? It puffs up and makes larger. And so all of this was to be removed out of their house. Now, we jump down to verse 21 here in Scripture of chapter 12. And Moses called for all the elders and said to them, Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in blood that is in the basin and strike the lintels of the two sides post with the blood that is in the basin and none of you shall go out of the door of the house until morning for the Lord shall will pass through and smite the Egyptians and when he seeth the blood upon the lintels on the two side posts the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you what <laughs> I don't think anybody stuck their head out the window, opened the door, but I imagine there's a lot of screaming going on in Egypt that night, a lot of crying. Now, again, the destroyer, there's a lot of, who's the destroyer? Well, we don't have time for that, but I'm glad the destroyer can't touch me. I'm the glad the destroyer can't get to me. Destroyer is death. And, and there's a lot of debating on who actually is death and what death is. But Jesus said, Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Death cannot grab hold of the child of God. Why, my friend? Because the blood of Christ blocks him from getting to us. Jesus Christ stands between us and death. He's given us eternal life, and we shall never perish. Now, I'd like you to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. With the Passover in mind and, and what Jesus said about it, we need to look again some things in 1 Corinthians chapter number 5 and try and tie these together this morning. First Corinthians is an interesting book. It's a fascinating book because it's, it's the Apostle Paul straightening out the church at Corinth. It was guilty of, of a lot of sins. It was a church that came out of real serious paganism. Corinth was a very wicked city. It had uh, its temples there. Its temples were filled with all manner of, 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 of gross and immoral perverted sins and how they worshipped their deities. They've done excavations in Corinth, and they have found evidence of, of, of the practices and everything. It, it, it was very wicked. So these people get saved. They come to faith in Christ. And, and when we get saved, my friend, we, we're, we're saved, we're growing, but we still, sometimes we, we, we bring our baggage with us. And, and, and things come with us. And, and sometimes things drop off little by little. And the Corinthian people had some issues, and Paul is trying to straighten them up on all these issues. Chapter 5 is a very sad chapter because in this chapter we find a young man in the church who is committing gross fornication that he is uh, living with or being with his father's wife. Most people take that to believe it was his stepmother and others believe it may have been actually his mother himself which is even more perverted and more disturbing but this is the sin that was going on in the church at Corinth. A young man is committing this gross sin. 
And not only is he committing this sin, but he's allowed to be in church and fellowship and live and, 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 and pray and, and do everything else the church is doing. And when Paul hears about this, because Paul has received a message from somebody saying, you know, we got this going on in church. I don't think it's right. What, what should we be doing? And, and Paul really condemns this activity of what is taking place and how this young man in the church is committing this very gross and vile sin. Now, he tells them, verse 5, he, he gave this person, deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when he talks about turning him over to Satan, and, and what he's saying, he's saying, you know, if this Christian man wants to live like the devil, then let the devil have him. It's not saying he's lost his salvation, but, you know, let the, let the devil have Adam. Let him suffer the consequences for his actions. Sin has consequences. And sin is a terrible thing, but sin does great damage to us. And he's saying, now, his flesh will be destroyed, his flesh will suffer, but his spirit, verse 5, says he will be saved in the day. So you're not, he's not losing his salvation, but he's going to suffer physical consequences for his actions. And I want you to notice verse 6, because this is important. Your glorifying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? You folks are allowing sin into your church. Now, we're all sinners. We all do wrong. But there's somebody here who is continually living in gross sin, in violation of Scripture, with no repentance on their mind and, and, and no caring of what they're doing. Then, it's, then we got a problem. We, we deal with it. And he's saying you just take that little leaven, that little sin, that what that one man is doing, and you put that little leaven in the church, it's going to affect the whole church. You may be doing right, and then you see somebody else doing wrong, and nothing happens to them. And what is your first human reaction? Well, if they can do it, I guess I can do it. If nothing's going to happen to them, you're doing 65. Somebody comes by you at 70. I guess we can do 70 now. Off you go. Somebody comes by. This is New Jersey, by the way. You're doing 70. And then some, somebody comes by doing 75. I guess we can do 75 now. And then there's Robert somewhere sitting on the side of the highway waiting for you to come by. <laughs> and just, <laughs> but officer, I was just going with the flow. <laughs> I think there's nobody in front of you. You, you see how far in front of me everybody is? <laughs> We were in Oklahoma one time. We got on the Cimarron Parkway or Cimarron Highway, and I noticed it's 80 miles an hour. I'm like, Renee, 80. The Speed Racer theme song went off in my head. <laughs> so 80. That means 90. <laughs> that old Chevy van took off down the Cimarron Parkway. Woohoo! Ethan doesn't remember that. He was a baby at the time. But 80 miles an hour in Oklahoma. I was like, this is America right here, I'm telling you. But somebody comes by doing 85. Woo! But the problem is when church, when somebody sins and nothing happens, so they're like, I can do it too because nothing's going to happen. If they can cheat in school, then I guess I can cheat because nothing happens to them because a little leaven is puffing up the whole lump. You have to get rid of the leaven. The church cannot have leaven in it. The church cannot have sin in it or else we're going to have some serious damage. 
And he says in verse 7, purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new lump. See, God wants you to be a lumpy Christian. I got on the scale this morning. It wasn't pretty. Amen. I was, there was weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. The holidays were good. That's all I got to say. Amen. Purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. In other words, you're a Christian. Sin has been taken away from you. You're a new creature in Christ. Notice what he says here, for even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. So when we read Exodus chapter number 12, and we read about that, that lamb, and we read about that blood, and we read about the leaven all being ruined, who, what is that a picture of? It's a picture of Jesus Christ who is our Passover. Jesus Christ is going to meet with his disciples in the upper room, and he's going to have that meal with them. He's celebrating what meal with them? The Passover. The Passover is celebrating the Passover with his disciples, and he gives them the New Testament. He gives them the bread and says, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, because he is the bread of life that sustains us. And his body has no leaven in it. Jesus Christ has no sin in him. He was born without sin. The virgin birth gives us an unleavened Savior. He has no leaven in him. The blood is precious blood. It's sinless blood that was sacrificed for us on Calvary's cross. And just as the blood of that lamb on the doorpost, that pure blood of that lamb, we will partake of pure grape juice because you've got to have alcohol picturing the blood of Jesus Christ. Alcohol is a broken down fermented product with additives in it to make it an alcoholic product. Sugars and other things are added to that alcohol. We must have the blood of Christ without anything. Just as they put that blood, oh, let me take the blood of this lamb and let me, let me, let me put some things in it to make it a prettier blood. And, and, and blood is, a, is nasty. A bowl of blood is, a, is not a pretty picture and it's not, it doesn't smell good. But they're putting it on that post of their house. My friend, what is the purpose of the Lord's Supper? If we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. He's, there's, there's the purpose of the, of the Lord's Supper. And, and again, as I mentioned in the bulletin, it's threefold. First, we look backward. He says, for as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death. What till he come? When we partake, we're looking back upon what Jesus Christ did. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ suffered on Calvary's cross and died for my sins. In verse number 28, he says, But let a man examine himself, so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. The Bible says that we are to examine ourselves. As Christians, am I, as a Christian, am I living right? Am I doing anything willfully, knowingly that violates what God has told me not to do and continuing in it. I don't care what God says. I'm going to do it anyway. I don't care what the Bible says or the preacher says. I'm going to do it anyway because I think, but you're in clear violation of God. So we're to examine ourselves. So we, we look backwards, but we also look inward as we partake. Jesus died for me. I'm a saved man. I'm a believer now. Am I living? Am I walking as Jesus wants me to walk? That's what separates me from everybody else on this planet. And he says that we're to do this in verse 26. For as often as ye, ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death what till he comes. So we're also looking forward. We look backward, we look inward, 
And we look forward knowing that someday Jesus Christ will come. The Lord will return. I got here early this morning and the sun was just rising up over Manhattan. Uh, there was no clouds yet. It's cloudy now, but there is clear this morning. And you can see the sun coming up out of, out, out of those, uh, between those skyscrapers. And I always see, whenever I see that, I think of that song, Some Golden Daybreak, Jesus Will Come. Some Golden Daybreak, Battles All Won. He'll shout the victory, break through the blue. Some Golden Daybreak for me, for you, my friend. Someday Jesus is going to return. And so with that thought in my mind that Jesus is returning, that thought keeps me clean and pure. I do not know when my Lord will return. So the Lord's Supper thing is it's historical, it's personal, and it's prophetical. I'm remembering what history, I'm remembering my person, and I'm remembering what the Bible says, that he is coming back again someday. It speaks of the cross, it speaks of my conscience, and it speaks of the crown. He's coming back as king one day. Now, who can partake of the Lord's Supper? Who is a partaker? This is a problem for a lot of different groups. There's three definitions for the Lord's Supper. Some people call it open, close, and closed. What's open, close, and closed mean? Every church is different. Some churches have a closed communion. When I was a boy, I was down in South Jersey and visiting a friend of mine, and he, I went to church with him one Sunday morning. It was a Catholic church, and it, it, they were having communion. And he said, you stay here, you sit here. And he got up and he went for the Lord's Supper. And I said, why can't I have it? He goes, you're not Catholic. I said, what was, what? He said, you have to go through communion classes and confirmation in order to be able to partake of it. So you have to be Catholic to partake of it. I said, I didn't know that. It's interesting to know. That's a closed communion. You have to be Catholic in the Catholic Church to have. Don't get mad now, by the way, because there's a lot of Baptists have closed communion. They'll have a Tuesday night service, a Monday night service, a Thursday night service where they'll tell the members of the church on Thursday evening, Monday night, whenever, whenever we don't have our normal services, you come down, the church will have communion. Uh, when I was a boy, they had it before Sunday school. So all the church members met here before Sunday school uh, in Carney Union, and they had communion then just for the church members. That's a closed communion. Then there's the one I can never get a straight definition out of anybody because always, it's always varied. They had close. What do you mean close? What's, what's close? What's that mean? What do you mean? Like horseshoes or hand grenades? What are we talking about here? Close. And close is the idea, well, you know, it's, it's, for, uh, it's just for believers who are in the church that day, and, and, and we've got to really make sure it's just for the, the members of the church, and we're not going to kick anybody out. We, we're going to tell everybody you can't partake if you're not a member. And it's, it kind of gets, it's kind of like, what? And I, I, you know, it's kind of like, it's very muddy to me. And then there's open communion. And open communion is where we as a church say this is for believers, this is for believers. Jesus Christ did not say it was just for the church members. It's for believers. And if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, you can partake of the Lord's Supper. Now, again, I don't look out and say, hey, you a saved man or not? That's, not gonna... That's between you and the Lord. And, and you want to partake, you partake. You don't want to partake, you don't want to partake. I've had Christians not partake because they felt their life was not right with God at one particular time, and they were trying to get some things straightened up, so they would, they would not partake of the Lord's Supper. That's between them and the Lord. I never approach them on the topic unless they wanted to talk to me about it. But in, in 1 Corinthians, where you are right now, Paul talks about it. In the Corinthian church, not only did they have this guy fornicating in the church, but they were doing, the Lord's Supper had turned into a drunken festival. They were actually getting drunk at the Lord's Supper because they had their meals, as we talked about earlier, and things were going on, and, and they were not sharing their meals. Can you imagine 
somebody bringing a tray of fried chicken and saying, you can't have this fried chicken, it's just for us, and your, your family huddles in a corner like a bunch of savages and, 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 and refuses to, to give up the fried chicken. Well, personally, I, we, we take you out and, uh, and steal your chicken and, and, and leave you with nothing. But they were turning this memorial meal, and they were actually getting drunk at this memorial meal. And so Paul has to deal with this topic. Can you imagine going to church and everybody's drunk in church, and they're fighting with each other? And, and things are going on. We look like a lot of churches in this country right now. In verse number 29, he says, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Now, the word unworthily here is an adverb. It's not an adjective. Paul does not say if anyone who is not worthy partakes, but rather he said, if anyone partakes in an unworthy manner, you're partaking in an unworthy manner. You're doing things you know you shouldn't be doing, and, and so you're going to eat the, the bread and drink this juice, and you're, you're un, it's unworthy. And I say, preacher, can you explain that more? I'm a little nervous here that maybe this morning I'm partaking unworthily. Well, we've seen some unworthy things here in Scripture. Are you, are you, you, you drunk here this morning? Are, you, are you, you fighting with anybody? Are you, are you fornicating with somebody? What, what, what are we doing? Well, that's unworthy. So he says several things can happen here. He says there's judgment involved. He talks about physical sickness in verse number 30. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you. God brought judgment upon these Christians. So I don't like that. Well, this is God. They were abusing the Lord's table, and God caused them to be sick. Not only did God cause them to be sick, but it says many sleep. Oh, they're getting rest. They're get, no, no, they're dead. Sleep is a term for Christians. <laughs> when a Christian dies, God calls them for friends. So they were doing so much gross sin at the Lord's table that God took some of them out. You, come here. Again, I've told the story before. I remember my brother got a very bad report card in, in seventh grade. It was horrible. Horrible report card. And my mother got that report. She went to school. In fact, she was walking out of school furious at the report my brother got. And one teacher, Mrs. Tosco, chased Mrs. Swikowski. Mrs. Swikowski, I want to talk to you. And, and she talked to her about my brother Stephen. My brother Stephen got dragged home from school by the ear. Back in the old days, amen. She came here and dragged him all the way down Ivy Street to Bergen Amphitheater and brought him home. And my brother, next year in eighth grade, by the way, he won an award. Most improved student, by the way. <laughs> Did straighten him out, amen. We, we hung that up in our bedroom for years. Most improved student. I gave that to my niece, her, his daughter. But uh, that thing, that'll straighten you out. My friend, in other words, God grabbed hold of you. He said, what are you doing? Made him sick. And God took said, you're coming home and dragged some people home. I don't like this Christianity stuff. Well, God's a righteous God. And God will not have his children living in disobedience and violating his laws and, 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 and mocking his name. So again, now how often do we do the Lord's Supper? Well, again, the Bible says as often as ye do this. As often. There is no set day. It seems some churches do it every Sunday. Some do it once a month. Some do it once a quarter. Some even do it once a year, which I think is too little. But again, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So the Lord's Supper, my friend, is again a memorial meal. We remember the bread, 
how it is unleavened and what it pictures the, the, the body of Christ. The, again, the, the, the juice. The Bible never uses the word wine in connection with the Lord's Supper. It always says the fruit of the vine. Jesus talked, I'm not taking this, uh, this cup or the fruit of the vine till I return. Because the word wine can either mean alcoholic product or it can mean a pure grape juice product, depending on the, where it's being used and in the context it's being used in Bible language. So as Christians, we will partake of a pure grape juice and, and, and drink of that grape because it pictures the blood of Christ. And in so doing this morning, we are remembering what Jesus Christ has done for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the salvation that's found in Christ. We thank you for the, the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all sin and this position that we have now in Jesus. And we ask, dear Lord, that you'll bless this time, bless our communion to, with each other as we fellowship around this table and remember what Jesus Christ has